Okay, Pete, we're with a, another Coffee with the Superintendent. It's been a little while. Yeah. Had a couple of hit and misses on our schedules, both yours and mine. Uh, school is coming up here really fast. I mean, I talked to my wife the other day and we were like, oh wait, the school's starting at the end of this month. Yeah. So with Delta virus out or Delta variant or whatever version they want to pick out this day, what's school going to look like? Well, at least as of today at, uh, you know, 1040, right. Right. Um, the, current, the current order from the governor and, and from OSPI is that all students and staff will be masked to start the school year regardless of their vaccination status. Is this something board decision or how is that? Yeah, this was not a board decision. This is one where the governor um, made the declaration uh, regarding schools about a week and a half ago. And we're kind of still sifting through some of, the, some of the fallout, but the bottom line is just the fact that they, they removed the option from local decision-making. And it'll be every public school and, and for the most part, every private school in the state will be masked up to start the school year. Um, you know, I, I joke a little bit by looking at my watch, but at the same time, one of the things I put out uh, to our staff and everything is that I'm, I was kind of holding off making any type of formal announcement or, until we got closer to school because things literally are changing from week to week. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're a year ago. We're yeah. Moment by moment, things are switching up. Yep. I think the I think the most important factors from, from our standpoint are the fact that... Um, OSPI and the governor's office have said school will resume. Students will have every option for regular school and as much as possible to start the school year. Um, so no, none of the activities are canceled. None of the in-person things are canceled or, or anything like that. Um, we still have to offer an online option, which okay. we will continue to do for those uh, parents and kids who choose to utilize it. But um, Is that, even if everything was all right, would an online option be there? Yeah, um, you know, we I think before COVID, we were focusing a lot at our high school level with our older kids okay. for for uh, online options. But I, I think that's one of the lasting changes you're going to see is we're going to have an online option okay. from here on out. Um, for a small group of kids and a small group of families, it simply works better. Yeah. Um, not everybody's a great online learner. I think we found that out. But for some kids. Um, they excel at it. Um, okay. You know, I, I'd say probably somewhere between five and ten percent of the overall population may actually excel in that type of environment. So, um, it's one that we we always need to have available, and I think you'll you'll see us maybe infuse it into more opportunities later. Meaning, I think that really what COVID has taught us is that. Um, there are ways to infuse technology into learning that maybe this, this sped up the implementation um, by having to, to get computers for every kid and everything like that. Right. Um, which is not a bad thing. I think that's something that we would have been aiming towards as a, as a five-year goal, but you know, we turned around and, and tried to do it in five months. So right. it was a little yeah. quicker. But at the same time, I think that's where we're going. And I don't think that, that we're alone by any stretch. I think that's just where public education is headed is to create more opportunities through online uh, utilization. But yeah, so as of right now, the one thing I would say, 
that is going to be a big difference is um, the spacing is still going to be at three feet, so that's pretty normal. Oh, okay, I was going to ask that. So three feet. So three feet, which is like I said, pretty much back to normal for, for most of our classrooms. Um, they still would like us to do six feet at lunch, but it's not a mandate. Um, so we may, we may see some alterations. I know that we're going to be looking at our lunchrooms and, and trying to get um, uh, more kids in. We're going to have, have obviously desks available so kids aren't um, having to sit on just chairs anymore. We've right. got desks available. Um, we're trying to figure out a way to use our standard tables, but it's just tough because everybody still does need to be facing in the same direction. You can't be sitting across from each uh, other. Yeah. Because obviously you have to take off your mask in order to eat. Um, but some of the quarantine rules are going to be are going to be different. So whereas um, the close contacts that used to be well, if you were Less than six feet uh, for more than 15 minutes, you constitute close contact. You had to quarantine for seven to 10 days. Uh, that's shifted. So now uh, a student who is, who is in that hypothetical three-foot range <coughs> but is still wearing a mask <coughs> while the other student's wearing a mask, that's no longer a close contact. So that should reduce okay. the requirements for us having to, to call parents and say, well, I'm sorry, but Johnny needs to come home for seven to 10 days. Um, the other thing that will be done is we are not going to ask about our kids' vaccination status uh, up front, but it will have an impact on a student who maybe does qualify for quarantining and under circumstances where we may, may have in the past said, okay, Johnny does need to go home and quarantine because of close contact. If the student uh, 12 or older is vaccinated, they will not have to quarantine. So... From that standpoint, that it, that's a bigger deal because right. um, all of a sudden a, a family who may have been on the fence about a vaccination of a 13, 14-year-old, it may be the difference between a kid coming home for 10 days and having to do uh, either online or homework for that amount of time, or maybe the kid stays in school because they were vaccinated. Um, it's something to, to consider at least as an option. So Yeah, I never, uh, that's a definite addition to that I mean okay I was gonna actually ask and you may have no comment at this time <laughs> on, and I can I can accept that but uh, schools have vaccination requirements and everything else right do you think this is gonna be something that's gonna just be a part of that list of things that are what do we have we I know we have chicken pox we have Mumps, mumps, measles, rubella, all, you know, and that, polio. Is this something that, have you heard down the line that this might be a, added right to that card? Um, to be honest, we I haven't heard. It's not been a topic of conversation other than I think this will fall into the, the optional flu type vaccination where... Okay. It's an option every year to get a booster for the flu and they roll the dice and see if they're going to get it right. I think it could turn into that. I do not see it turning into a, you have to have this to go to school. Okay. Um, I, I don't, at this point, uh, I don't see that as, as having any legs whatsoever within the legislature. It would take legislation and some pretty serious politicking to, to get that through. 
Um, and that's not something that a local district can simply slap down on people saying, okay, okay we're going to add this vaccination. Sense. No, that's no. not, that's not going to happen. And just so we make sure, this is purely your opinion. <laughs> that's, yep, purely my opinion. If the legislature comes out next session and brings it up, that's <laughs> outside of my uh, little sphere of influence. But um, no, it hasn't been a, a topic as a, as a requirement. The closest thing I can remember, if and, and you might remember this too, Shane, is I want to say it was about 2014, 2015, there was a big measles outbreak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the measles, mumps, rubella is a required vaccination. Right. And there were some increased regulations of that particular vaccine in the Moses Lake area, in the Spokane area, um, where kids who had opted out of that particular vaccine were not allowed to come to school. Um, but again, yeah, that's yeah. on that list. That's the one, you know, I've got my kids shot records at home, right? That's on that list. COVID is not on that list. So okay. unless something really major happens and by major, uh, again, purely hypothetical, it would take a, a new variant with a much, um, a much higher level of illness, I think, uh, okay. that, to get into that level of conversation. All right, that makes sense. You said all the classes are going to be open. This band, choir, those are going to be regular as well. There's a lot of air moving around. There's a that. lot of air moving around. Uh, regular in the sense of kids are still going to have to be masked, um, which creates its own set of problems. Obviously, um, if you if you uh, think about it, you can put a hole in a mask and put a trumpet through the little hole in the mask and still manage to play. It's going to be a challenge. There's okay. no doubt about that. Um, but at this point in time, there, there are not the current level of restrictions other than we have to figure out a way to mask. I think I brought up it during one of these podcasts, the old idea that I used to play trombone and I mean, at some point you have to hit the spit valve and that right, just creates right. its own set of unique issues. Yep. I'm sure there's going to be some, some increased spacing requirements and some masking requirements along with band, but we hope, you know, knock on wood that, that we're going to get it off the ground this year. <laughs> I just had a visual of putting like a shower cap over the top of a saxophone. <laughs> yeah. And there are such things that the districts have bought that, um, reminiscent of the uh the wind cover that you have for your microphones that you okay. can literally put over the bells of clarinets and trumpets and trombones and tubas and things like that to keep some of that stuff from from getting all over but it, those are definitely the challenging areas the the nice piece at least to start the year pe outside no mass required right definitely um but when we're talking about sports and activities uh close contacts that type of thing football's still gonna still gonna be requiring masks for contact um which will be tough um i know there's still some discussion around indoor volleyball going on um which uh, it's kind of you know volleyball and basketball of course they always taught us growing up those are not contact sports well that was in 19 <laughs> 1982 maybe it wasn't a contact sport no, watching, but, watching those boys go back and forth it's a contact sport <laughs> yeah so wia is still working through that but i know that um 
for our PE classes that are outside that we can we can get that three to six foot of distance. We won't we won't require any masks. But okay. once they come back in, they're going to have to mask up. So um, hopefully some things will change by the time we see your first snowfall, which again, knock on wood, won't be until maybe January, February. Yeah, gets through those fall sports. Exactly. Um, well, you already covered there's not going to be a vaccine thing. So um, that question wasn't relevant. I'll ask that another day. There you go. Uh, anything else that maybe things parents should be thinking about for the school? What is it? August? August 30th. Monday, August 30th is first day. Wow. Um, you know, our principals are working hard to try and adapt some of the things that we've done during that first day, first couple days, first week of school. You know, we're, st we're still kind of up in the air around what does an assembly look at look like? Ooh, yeah. um, what does a concert look like? At this point, we're not 100%. Um, we know we can do small levels of assemblies. So if I'm a high school principal, I might think about, well, instead of bringing the entire school in, Maybe I just bring in the 100 freshmen and, and make sure that there's three-foot distance between right, them to right. get information out there. Uh, our freshmen, I think it's, it's vitally important to be able to get those kids in and give them a sense of belonging and a sense of understanding that, hey, we know things are still a little bit weird, but at least we're all in one place together. Okay, so. Um, so it makes sense. So it's going to look more normal. But it's not going to look as normal as, as certainly we were hoping. I mean, we were having discussions in June about whether or not masks were even be going to be required. And unfortunately, with the, the rapid spread even here in Benton and Franklin counties, that's simply not an option. Well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll roll into two, I, two and a half now. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really think the most important piece about this one, at least, you know, we, we talk a lot about local control of, of schools, and in this regard, this is the one area that um, there is not a local control. This is a state mandate. So okay. people in other neighboring districts aren't going to be doing anything any different than what we're, what we're doing here. So don't try to yank the kids out for purely for which uh, place has a mask or not. Yeah, you know, we, we were fortunate. Our elementary opened to in-person, in-hybrid, last October uh, we were we were earlier than quite a few districts around and so we did see an actual influx of some kids coming from other districts um, because they weren't in person yet um, but in in the case of masked versus no mask the you're not going to see a difference between okay. Seattle Pasco Benton City we're gonna have the same mandates okay 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 we've talked about opening school during the last school board meeting, you brought up something I really didn't have a full grasp of, and that's the public being able to use the school facilities for various events and items. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew there was a basic you could use it, but after that meeting, it sounded like there's a bigger scope of that. Can you tell me a little more about that? Well, um Schools, public facilities, so our schools are public facilities. Okay. Uh, they're funded by public, and so there are laws and rules governing um, our ability to uh, let folks use them, rent them out, uh, those types of things. And really, you fall into three different categories. The first one being the most obvious is anything that is school-related or child welfare-related. Um, those are things where... 
um, you know, for lack of a better term, we encourage people um, that if it's a benefit to our kids, a benefit to, uh, to a school public partnership, anything like that, you know, our facilities are available to be used. Um, and when it's outside of school hours, the only thing that we even have the ability to ask is, is help out if it's outside of school hours with any uh, extra custodial needs that might, might need to take place. So if we had to bring in an extra custodian because um, somebody's using our facilities, like a, in one of my former schools, we have driver's ed program that would come out and okay. use our facilities in the evenings. Well, yeah. we had to bring in an extra custodian to clean those three rooms because they'd already been cleaned by the time that they were uh, yes, using yes. them for two hours a night. Um, but that was the that was the limit of the cost. It was a benefit for our kids. It was a benefit for our community. Um, then the next tier. Well, I was gonna, oh, go ahead. So examples would be like the Coalition for Healthy Benton Cities uh, Hidden in Plain Sight program, mm -hmm. or the I don't know if we're going to still have them, but the PTA PTO uh, movies. Yep. Okay, so those would be that type of. Yep. Any of our um, any of our our parent organizations, anything that's directly beneficial to our kids is, is open, okay. open season for that. All right. Um, from there, you go into the nonprofits. So organizations that are nonprofit, meaning that they're not charging for attendance, they're not doing anything like that, it's not a fundraiser, um, that's the next tier. And uh, for those types of events, we can charge a, a small usage fee Again, along with custodial needs, if it's right. outside of school hours, anything like that, um, the the facility rental is is on a nominal basis, so it's not an exorbitant amount by any stretch. Um, I think the one that that really brings up the questions is what if it is a a, a commercial activity? It's a for profit. Um, in that case, then we we look at other facilities, both in Benton City and in the region that are available for rent for similar activities. Um, and we would charge the, the standard rate that seems to be an average of, of things like that. And then we would charge for the custodial, obviously. But that's, again, <clears throat> that would be a case where maybe a local group wants to have a movie night, but they're charging $5 for every adult and person to get in. Well, that's a, that's a commercial event. You're, okay. you're making money off of that. Um, that's not to say that it couldn't be a school fundraiser doing that, in which case that's, <laughs> right, right. that's a different thing. Different rules, different laws. But uh, the idea that you're going to have, have an event at a school to be a moneymaker, that would be that that commercial activity where, where you need to you need to pay the standard rental fees that you would pay anywhere. Okay, so uh, if the chamber wanted to use it for uh, some kind of event, let's well, as we're coming up to uh, Benton City Days, mm -hmm. if they're using it for that type of purpose of either being displays or whatever that type of event is that yep. would be okay yeah anytime you have something that ha there is definitely a community interest and is a value both to the community and to the kids in the community um, then then obviously we're going to work with that organization to be able to utilize our facilities our parking with as little impact to them as possible because um, you know when we're talking Benton City Days it's been very traditional that 
that they'd used our commons area and had displays and had wares out for a bazaar type event. Yeah, and the Winterfest. Winter in Winterfest. You know, and those are those are good for the community and good good for our kids to be able to be a part of that. So we can really knock down any charges on those types of things to to an absolute minimum. Um, you know, there's even times when we're able to um, schedule events so that we can work around our own our own custodial usage. So if we know something's coming in, maybe we can delay a shift of a custodian to come in to where they come in after where there isn't any direct impact. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, when you talk about um, if you're a, and this is one that I would always get into in a previous school is you have a, you have uh, kids who want to go and be exchange students in other countries. Right, right. And there are school-based programs that allow for that type of a scenario. And then there are for-profit companies that do that. And uh, so yes. constantly I would be getting phone calls about, well, why does this group get to use it for no charge? And this group, there's a charge. Well, for this group, they're a nonprofit and they're school-based and they're not making $1,000 a pop on <laughs> per kid. Right, right. Whereas this, it's actually income for the person that's doing it. And there's an advantage to getting more kids to sign up. So though you get into those little fine lines, but you know, we haven't run into that here and there hasn't been a history of that. I think I think the more communities are able to to utilize their schools, come in and, and um, utilize facilities that are here that that our communities paid for and helped pay for, more power to them. Okay. That's really good to know. Uh, I do have a sticky one just because I seen this happen and I was trying to get understand it. Prosser High School had a church in their facility every Sunday. Correct. How does that work? That <laughs> carefully? Yeah, carefully is a good yeah. If you want to just nuts and bolts, it's carefully. Um and I can honestly say I had the same thing occur when I was a high school principal at Walla Walla. Okay. Um and that fell under um, that gray area between the nonprofit and commercial, but it was a, a it was a a nonprofit church. Um, they had their nonprofit status paperwork, and they were able to to utilize the facilities. And they simply had to pay for the custodian to to come in for two hours after they were done and clean up the area. And the same would be true for us or any other. Any other school, I think. I think where that becomes a touchier issue is when you want to do that at times when school is in session, because obviously uh, we don't have yeah, kids yeah, yeah. kids coming in on Sunday. We don't have anything going on on Sunday, so the the facility is available. You know, I think if you were talking about, well, we want to utilize it every Wednesday evening. Well, wait a minute. Now I have practices going on. I have parents coming in. Um, I have school activities going on at the same time, so that would be an area where we'd have to set up some pretty good boundaries, and and it would not be as as easy to facilitate as you know in the in my prior life as a high school principal. Sunday morning at seven o'clock, I don't have a lot of kids right, coming through right, a high right. school, so <laughs> it was sports or otherwise. Sports yeah. or otherwise, so it was easy to do. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I had always wondered, but I hadn't ever talked to the superintendent over there about how that was happening. Yeah. 
<laughs> Excuse me. We and don't I think, have COVID, guys. Yeah, just, no, <laughs> no, not a bit. <laughs> just drive out. Um, and I think one of the, you know, people are probably wondering, well, why would, why does this even come up in conversation? Well, it right. comes up in conversation because as you have a board policy, and this is true of a lot of different policies that have been in place for 10, 15, 20 years, guess what? Like everything else, things change. Right. Um, right. And there are hard and fast legal rules. And then there's, there's past practices, things that we have allowed to occur because it's the way it's always been done. And unfortunately, in uh, the litigious climate that we live in, um, districts... Learned a new word today. <laughs> there you go. English teacher, yep. Um, you know, in, in the day and age that we live in, we have to make sure that the board protects the district's financial interests from litigation and make sure that we have everything up to snuff from that standpoint. So that was the impetus for, for a conversation with the board to say, okay. we need to make sure that, that our policies and practices around facilities use, whether it's community, nonprofit, whatever, uh, meet the standards of the current state laws and also um, don't result in overuse um, that could result in increased maintenance requirements right. uh, down the road because that of course would come back to the district hence the taxpayer uh, to be responsible for that and just because a group likes to use the gymnasium three nights a week um, does that mean that they're going to cough up a percentage to re-wax the floor every year which is several thousand dollars right and you have to take those things into consideration because we don't want to deny usage, but we have to understand, of course, that the primary reason for schools to be there is for the students and staff of the community to use. So balance, we have to do a balance. Exactly, exactly. We just have to be aware of it and then make sure that um, if we have practices that are outdated, that we give everybody enough lead time. One of the things that the board's been very cognizant of to their credit is that whatever changes are made to practice or policy or, or procedures or costs or anything like that, that we have all of these set up and in place around December of this year, say December of 21, to be implemented then in August of 22, so that there's a nice eight, 10 month okay. time frame so that we can get the new regulations, get the new policies and procedures out. And if you have been um, a regular user of our facilities to know Maybe there's a change, maybe there's not, but you know it's coming. You don't ever want to hit somebody with a with a nowhere. bill out of nowhere that they haven't seen before or haven't heard of. Yeah, we've recently had that kind of experience at, at outside of the school that had a lot of kickback. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hey, any last throw out there? Or? No. I mean, honestly, it's kind of one of those, those things. It's August 6th, and... And I'm hoping that we have at least one more of these before school starts, because Definitely. that way we can uh, we can update and and say either we're going with the game plan that we we talked, talked about before, about. or holy cow, there's been a been a change. Oh yes. yes so, yes. you know, knock on wood. I I hope that that we don't, because if if there's anything administrators hate, and I know parents hate it as well it's when the rules change out of right. nowhere and where the heck are we going um so I, one of the things that i can say is that regardless we're gonna we're gonna over communicate the 
the rules and everything like that starting next week. So everybody's got okay. a good idea. The minute they change, <clears throat> you know, our new our newest communication practices, it's going to be on our website, on our Facebook page, out and out to our parents as in those three areas as simultaneously as possible so that everybody can get access to the information as soon as we get it. Okay, excellent. Yeah, Facebook is pretty easy. Kyona Benton School District. Yep. Definitely like or follow that page. Um, I don't have the address memorized for the uh, website, but I know that it's kept up pretty up to date nowadays. Yeah, in fact, uh, we, we've just done some, some uh, updates to the website. It's gonna look a little different. But uh, as I go through it, and I know, you know, as superintendent, believe it or not, I go through our website and <clears throat> being not a tech aficionado like you are, um, my only request when, when we started talking about uh, updating our website was I want it to be user friendly and intuitive. I want people to be able to go to it and you should be able to find out. Definitely, definitely. If you're a parent, if you click the parent page, it should have stuff for parents. Exactly. Um, and I've been very, very uh, happy with, with the updates that we've made, and we're updating all the, the individual schools at this time so that it should be more intuitive, easier for people just to go and find the information. We're also trying to put as much information out there digitally so the parents don't necessarily have to come to in a school office to get information, right. to get paperwork. They can simply print it out at home. Um, and fill it out eventually, you know, hopefully, <clears throat> sooner rather than later, you know, we're going to have a system in place where you can do things digitally. You can do them online from home, and it will simply embed into our system. Um, Very nice. But, of course, it, the, it's an age-old problem because, you know, as an English teacher, I used to teach proper abbreviations and... And when it comes to entering addresses, that's one of our biggest hangups is, is people, how do you get the computer to recognize the difference between, um, you know, 1105 Dale Avenue and it's all spelled out or it's 1105 Dale Ave, A-V-E, no period, or maybe somebody puts the period. Well, all three of those things mean the same thing, but there are three different entries when the computer sees right. them. Yep. And you can't have three different entries for every kid in the, in, in the school system. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Absolutely. I, I appreciate these, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, Shane.